Welcome to Junior to Senior, the podcast for ambitious devs who want to take their career to the next level. I'm your host, David Gutman. Today, I'm joined by David Subar. David, welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks, David. Excited to be here. All right. So for folks who are just meeting you for the first time, could you share a little bit about who you are and what you do? Sure. Uh, I run a company called Interna. Interna focuses on product management and engineering and how to make them more effective. So we spend time thinking about how do you build fast, ship fast, get feedback from the market, and then do it again and again. How do you get product market fit faster? How do you align engineering and product management? But I started my career, and I think this might be interesting to your audience. I started my career doing research and development in AI and machine learning at a military-owned think tank. And um, that, was, that was interesting, but interesting, but not for the reason you might, reasons you might think. What I learned doing research and development was a good project is writing a paper, maybe presenting it at a conference, and then nothing happens. And so that was very frustrating for me. And even though we were looking, working on things that were cool about getting signals intelligence from the bad guys and trying to figure out what they were trying to do, um, and the problem set was interesting, we weren't really having an impact. So I switched my career to being a developer at an AI tools firm, first being an engineer, then managing teams, then managing larger teams, and eventually being CTO, and then eventually chief product officer of companies. And so I, the transition, the, what you talk about in this podcast was a transition I took in my career, but then I got very meta about it. just how do I build software that people use, uh, products people use, but how do I build teams that build products that people use? And so mm -hmm. that's, that's my career, and that's what Intern is about, is helping companies do that. And so I spent a lot of time thinking about that. Specifically at Interna, we do four different things. And doing these things, we see patterns across companies and what works and what doesn't work. And the, and the four things are is we'll go evaluate a product management and engineering team and come back to the company and say, here's some stuff you're doing that's really good. You should keep doing that. Here's some stuff you might do differently or should do differently. And here's how. That's the first thing. So we see inside product management teams and engineering teams things that work and things that don't work. Second thing we do is we will mentor and coach engineering and product executives and help them get to the next level, having been uh, people at Interna, uh, having been CTOs, chief product officers before engineering and product executives. We've seen those patterns, we'll coach. That's the second thing. The third thing is if a company doesn't have someone to take those teams to the next level, we'll jump in on an interim basis and run product management or engineering or both, help fix them, help hire someone permanent to run the teams after us. And the last thing we do is we do due diligence for investors. And through all those things, we see a bunch of patterns that are interesting uh, to help product management engineering build fast and ship products quicker. Yeah, I uh, I love that. and and. You know, I, I'm I'm sure that there are many engineers listening to the show that I think have some degree of frustration uh, of where they feel like they're working on things that don't matter or not getting used. What what was it about what you were doing at the think tank that that there weren't any results? I mean, it sounds like what you were doing was very useful and um, applicable. What I guess, where, where was the, I don't know, what, what was the obstacle there? 
the obstacle is what we were doing is advancing science and not doing engineering. Now, mm. science is clearly a good thing. We need science to do engineering, but we were doing science experiments that someone might take and use in a real project someday or might not. And we would never know if they did or didn't. Mm -hmm. um, and so once again, the world needs need scientists. It turns out like Newton was really important. Uh, <laughs> you know, Einstein, Leibniz, these are all really important people. Um, but there's lots and lots of scientists that go in the background and no one ever hears from them or maybe even takes the results. And I, I'm not Newton, mm -hmm. right? But I did want to build something that had an impact. Mm -hmm. So it sounds sounds like you definitely moved in in that in that direction. And then, do you feel like like that's the same that's the same trajectory moving from engineering and being a CTO to uh, focusing more on product? Yes, that's exactly right. And and the fundamental thing here is how do I create value? How does my product create value? How does my company create value for the people we serve? Mm -hmm. And if you understand that, then you can go and say, oh, if I do X and Y and Z, I'm helping advance our mission and someone is getting value out of this. And therefore, my role is has importance. Now, this mm -hmm. is not meant to be about me. But if you want to function well in your ecosystem, you need to provide value in your ecosystem. Uh, by the way, it's not just you as a developer who needs to do that. Your manager needs to do that. The CTO needs to do that. The whole company needs to do that. If you're not providing value in your ecosystem, then someone will, will say, interacting with this person is not a good use of time or money. Let's try to figure out a way not to do that. Mm -hmm. If you're providing value, the opposite effect happens. And they say, oh, I'm glad to be working with this person. This person is helping push us farther along in what we're trying to get done. How do I engage with this person more? Right. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think this is this is something that comes up a lot on the show, which is why why should any engineer make software? You know, uh, and and I, I think I think many of the guests on the show have cautioned that that if you make software in a vacuum and like it's not making anybody's lives better, it's not providing value, it's not saving anybody time, it's not helping them make more money or uh, do something, you know, get more time doing something they enjoy, uh, you gotta be careful just because that's ultimately not gonna be very uh, rewarding and, and almost goes against the purpose of, of creating that, that software. Now, I, I guess one of the, the things that, that you mentioned that, that I feel like I, I kind of lit up at is you spend a lot of time working almost like the space between or, or I guess the space around product teams and engineering teams. And in my experience, that can often be a very fraught relationship. I don't know if that's your experience, but I find uh, in I've heard in a lot of companies and some I've even been at the relationship between product and engineering is a little bit contentious. Uh, is that is that something that you've experienced? Yes, it can be contentious and it's bad if it is. Now, there's some people who have the idea of like, I want tension between product management and engineering. I want them to fight a little because, you know, then we get the most efficiency. Um, I argue that's completely the wrong reasoning. Mm. Product management engineering should see themselves as one team that builds product. And so... To like one step further in that, if an engineer thinks they're 
only to write code. Tell me what you want to write the code, and then I'll give it to you, and it's on you. If a product manager or product owner thinks your job is to write user stories and it's on the engineers how to get it done, that is only a component of your job. That's not their job. Mm-hmm. It's, that's necessary, but that is not sufficient. The job is to build and ship a product that serves somebody. Mm-hmm. And so if it's a cancer for product managers to say, we would release this, but engineering was too slow. Or engineering to say, we built what they asked, but if it's the wrong thing, it's on product. Mm-hmm. Both teams have failed if that happens. And so it's about how do we work together to build and ship something. Now, I have a lot to say about the Spotify model. I, I uh, interviewed one of the executives uh, at Spotify about the Spotify model. And you shouldn't overlearn the Spotify model about squads and how they organize because they did that for a particular purpose that they were trying to solve. Glad to talk about that, but maybe not not for right now. But the key that, that I, the key takeaway that I think is useful there is that product managers and engineers were on the same squad, mm-hmm. and they 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 succeeded together or failed together. And that bonding, that recognizing that we do the same thing, is really important. And I would argue it's not just product management engineering that bonds together. Some there's some companies that say oh, I'm in engineering, I serve marketing or I serve sales. Mm-hmm. The answer to that is no, you don't. You and marketing and sales are on the same team that serves some customer. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's the way to think about the problem that is most successful, that bonds product management and engineering and tends to get the, res- the right results because then you say, we release this product, let's retro it. Let's not just retro the sprint. Right? People do that. People not do retro the sprint. A lot of people do it well. Some don't, but a lot of people do it well. But you also need to, if you believe that my job as an engineer with the product managers is to build and ship something that creates value, after you release it, you should ask, did we or did we not create value? And before you actually start it, you should have a thesis about we're going to build this because we believe we're going to create value in this way. And then as once again, you do the release, you test you, you test whether you did that or not, and then you update the whole product management process. And that, that focus on staring at the same thing in the distance, not gazing into each other's eyes, but, but going to some goal in the distance together, gets alignment between product management and engineering, and then gets to this thing that is the heart of this podcast is, as an engineer, how do I go from junior to senior? How do I get people to want to pull me up into the organization, if you're aligned with your managers and the directors on what they're doing to create value for the customers, and you're aligned with that, then you'll tend to produce value for them. Mm-hmm. If you're not, then you'll fall out of alignment. What's, what's interesting about what you said about the, uh, the thesis and um, evaluating whether or not you created value, uh, you started to, to sound a lot more like a scientist there with uh, hypothesis and experiment and then uh, evaluating the results. <laughs> it's, 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 it's funny you said I never thought of it that way. <laughs> I think it very much is as agile, but you're, you're absolutely right. That, that, is, that feels very scientific. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, um, the thing that you mentioned about aligning uh, based on serving the, the customer or the, the client or or the end user, I think is, is really important. And I think, I think we need to, um, 
I think it deserves a special call out, right? I mean, I think one metaphor that jumped into my to my mind is that if you're you're driving on a highway and uh, you know if you've got two cars in front of you, uh, you could certainly react, uh, you know, with your gas and your brakes to the car directly in front of you, but you could also react to the car uh, two in front of you, the the one in front of the one in front mm-hmm. of you, and if you do that. Uh, you're you're also likely to respond the same way, and in some cases, you'd react even even quicker. You're not waiting necessarily for that for the information to propagate, uh, you know, from the brake lights, you know, to the car in front of you, to their brake lights, to you. You can react a little bit more um, quickly. You can see two cars ahead, brake lights going on. You can you can even start braking before the car directly in front of you. Um, reacts. And uh, kind of what you're saying is, in my opinion, is that um, if the engineering team, you know, doesn't necessarily wait, nor do they really cede ownership of that, you know, the full relationship to product, they can respond a lot more quickly, they can respond a lot better and ultimately make those customers happier, uh, provide them more value. Um, And it, it sounds like you think that that is, that is really just part of the of the job. What are some signs that that an engineer, like how can an engineer look at this and be like, oh, you know, I'm not doing these things and therefore I should, I should pay attention to this or, or maybe like, oh, I guess that is what I'm doing and, and, you know, I should keep doing it. Like how, how should an engineer think about this? Um, Well, first of all, I would uh, start, do you know who you serve and do you care about them? Mm. And I'm going to give you a counter example first. So some number of years ago, before I started in Turner, I was offered a job to run engineering at, uh, at a company that did fantasy uh, sports. Mm-hmm. And the company had, I forgot what it was, $100 million investment. The CEO was really charismatic. He was really smart, just really liked him. Um, you know, back when people went to offices, the offices were beautiful. I liked the other executives. And the CEO offered me the job. Mm-hmm. So obviously you took it because everything was perfect. Except for one thing. <laughs> I don't care about sports. Mm-hmm. I like soccer. I like Ohio State football. After that, I don't care. And there's a lot of sports that people commonly know about that I don't even know the rules of. Mm-hmm. And so I went to the CEO's name was Richard. And I said, thank you very much for your offer. I could do a very good job here, but I could never do a great job. Mm-hmm. I can't take your job. I'm really sad about it because I really want to work for you and I really want to work here, but you'd be better served by someone else who's passionate about sports because fundamentally I don't care. And so I will never be great and I can't do the job. So if you don't fundamentally care about who you serve, if that doesn't get you excited in some way, you should consider about whether that's the job you want. And by the way, like money's fungible. Right. You can go to another. You're an engineer. Getting another job is super easy and money. You know, one person's, you know, dollar bills look just like someone else's. Yeah, they're both they're both U.S. dollars that you can pay your taxes with. Both U.S. dollars, uh, except for the one with Franklin. They all got presidents on them. They're green. (laughs) Right. Um, And uh, so find out, do you care about the market? Do you are you invested in it? And then do the product managers tell you the why? Why are we doing this? Like, use your stories, like if you're going to do Scrum, 
user stories are written in a way that gives you a, a tidbit of why, mm-hmm. right? But your epic should have the why. The things on the roadmap should have the why. What your goal is should have the why, and you should understand it. As an engineer, there's three ways to do anything. And if you don't have the context, you're not likely to consistently pick the right way. Mm-hmm. And so first thing to ask yourself is, do you know the why? Do you care? I was consulting recently to a company in Boston called Reify Health. And they do their SaaS service for making clinical trials of drugs faster. Turns out this it turns out I didn't know this, that getting drugs to market, the the thing that slows it down more than anything, like by a significant margin, is actually getting patients to take what might be a drug. Mm. And it's not a hard process, except that it's all in spreadsheets. And so this company was <laughs> this company uh was automating that process and working with Eli Lilly and marketing companies like that. And when I got there, I think there was 12 engineers and a couple product managers, maybe a designer. Um, but we we had a big mission in front of us and we had to grow. So my, I was running the team on an interim basis, product management engineering. And the thing that I had to sell was not the, the salaries. In fact, they were probably below market salaries at that point, but we're doing something that's super important. And then COVID happened, and then it became even more obvious to people. Sure. Um, the company yesterday just closed a $220 million round um, because they were able to create value in the marketplace that's obvious to anyone, even if you don't know about drug discovery. And I, running the department, which we eventually grew to about 70 engineers when I was there a couple months ago, uh, I think 13 in product management, similar size in design and data. I was able to sell to the engineers that were doing something important. And then you have to, you have to walk the walk, right? You, have, you can't just say we're doing something important. You actually have to do it. And so we were aligned with how do we serve patients? How do we serve clinicians? How do we serve drug companies? And everything we put on the roadmap looked like that, having squads that were aligned to different segments of those groups where people understood that. And I wanted the engineers to say to product managers, I understand what you're asking me. Um, we could do that. That's going to take a long time. Instead, we could do this other thing here, which I'll give you 80% of what you want in 20% of the time and to engage in that conversation. I also want engineers to say to product managers, hey, we have this opportunity to do this thing over here. Why don't we consider that? Mm-hmm. Likewise, I want product managers to say to engineers, help me understand that architecture. Why are we building things that way? Mm-hmm. At the end, the product decisions belong to the product manager, but I want the engineers engaged in them. Right. The architecture decisions belong to engineering, but I want product management to engage in because those are the those are some of the components that you need to build a great product. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's super, super important. Um, one of the things that, that that I've thought a lot about, and you 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 touched on it, is it sounds like some organizations, some companies have a big advantage by um, based on what they're doing. And and this is something that I've noticed. I, I run engineering for a number of companies. Um, and uh, one of them that, you know, they're they are they're building something that is that is so much more tangible. Right. They are they are working in education. Um, they they want to eliminate student debt. Um, they want to provide incredibly high quality courses. And I feel like that's a really easy thing for an engineer to understand, to empathize with, to get excited about. 
um, and when working with uh, other companies uh, that that are doing something that might just be more like arbitrage, right? Think think yeah. hedge fund crossed with uh, internet ads. Um, it can be a lot harder to recruit or get an engineer uh, interested uh, about like why they're building what they're building. And I think even within a company too, if you're if you're working on something that's touching a, uh, an end user that you empathize with, that can also be very different than if you're building internal reports that you know the customer is just the the COO and and their team or something, and it's all financial spreadsheet type stuff. How do you? Right. Yeah, I mean, like, how, is this something that has an answer or some kind of way you know to, or is it just you you just you just find engineers that that are interested in that or if like you are this engineer do you just do you just move like kind of like what you did like yeah. oh you know what i don't want to make reports like i want to you know I, I i don't care about i don't care about coos and their teams i i, I want to i want to do this for artists or something like what how does that all work yeah so I, the answer is basically everything you said some of it is you know different courses for different courses like some people i, I had this offer job offer at bridgewater capital which is the world's largest hedge fund. This is another job I didn't take. Um, I always think of Bridgewater as like the opposite of like Zappos. Like they, they're just like on opposite yeah. sides of the mirror. A hundred percent. That's exactly right. And my job was going to be doing exactly what you said was producing reports for the COO. The interesting thing about Bridgewater, and it's a really interesting place. Like they think about macroeconomics and how they work and how investments should happen over you know macroeconomics over tens or hundreds of years and what does that mean oh when the when the portuguese empire rose and then fell what happened to economics how should we invest in the united states based on that how do we look at china really really interesting stuff and i would would have loved to have been involved with that because like that well that that pickles something in my brain mm -hmm. but my job is going to have nothing to do with that mm -hmm. and so i said no i might have made a lot of money there right yeah, they're, huge... they're good at they're good at making money really they're really good at that um <laughs> but that but i wasn't going to be in that part that was interesting to me right mm -hmm. so i took other jobs and i did other things and eventually i did in turn so but there but there are some people who like to do those things and so you know good for them and they should take those jobs and there's no you know there's no negative there's no negative for them but if you're not that person don't take that job just don't you're not going to be great you'll be unhappy um, and, uh, once again, the opportunity to get jobs is high and it turns out engineers are generally paid a lot of money. So one of the pieces of advice I give to people is you're much better at being at a profit center than in a cost center. Mm -hmm. It's much better to be the CTO than the CIO in general. I don't want to overgeneralize, but in general, because if you're the CTO or the chief product officer in a technology company, you're probably building the thing that generates revenue. Mm-hmm. If you're the CIO, I, had a, I have a friend who is CEO of a major grocery chain, and he was talking to me at the he's talking to me at the CIO position, and he said, "You would never take that job, would you?" And I said, "Nope," <laughs> because you would only talk to me when the cash registers didn't work. It's like electricity; you'll only notice me when the lights go out. Mm -hmm. Other than that, you'll say, "Next year, do more with less." That's not mm -hmm. fun. Uh, there's some people who like that, right? And there's some people who want that kind of job and want that kind of role. One of my friends base, plays bass guitar for a uh for a band that's kind of well known 
and like he like he doesn't, he never wants to be the lead singer. He always wants to play bass guitar. Mm-hmm. Good for him. Um, you know, not that I want to be lead singer, but I want to have a role. Like once again, I want to know how I'm affecting some market and somebody. And so those are the kind of roles that I put myself in. And by creating value, that's how I got pulled up. Yeah. So junior to senior, we have um, a companion private community. Um, and one of the things that, that we do is, is you know, we talk about, basically, we, we ask, you know, questions come up. And, and so one of the ones that, that we were discussing recently is, you know, for engineers, like, what are you working on? Are you working on something customer facing or are you working on something internal? Uh, and, and is this what you want to do? Why? Why not? And um, I think this really relates to it, because I think oftentimes when you are working on those internal things, uh, you're not necessarily part of that um, value creation to the to the customer. Um, you're you're not serving your your customers, your clients, your users directly. Um, however, you know, it, it it's one of those things where you may not be. Uh, changing or your company's position, you may not be pushing your company farther along um, in terms of position, but you might be increasing the velocity, right? You you you're right. going to be helping the rest of your team move faster. Um, you know, in my past, um, I've definitely would take on jobs that had a uh, that had a high visibility to the executives and the the CTO. Uh, and I feel like that worked really well for my career. Um, but on the other hand, I can also see that it would make a lot more sense um, in some ways for an engineer to mostly just be involved on features and projects that that are going to lead to more money directly. Do you have an opinion on this? Uh, I think both are both are fine. And maybe you switch off from one to the other. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think what opportunities present themselves to you and uh and what do you think you know what do you think you're gonna be good at what do you think you're gonna be excited about doing doing things that are high visibility are good things that create a lot of value tend to become high visibility uh and so i I think i think both are good and by the way i just want to go back to the bridgewater thing if i had an opportunity to do write report to ray dalio (laughs) this the ceo of bridgewater and then interact with him and learn things from him even though my job wasn't that important, that would be interesting to me. Mm-hmm. I would learn a lot, and that would be a that would have been a great job. Except for working for him, might be difficult. Um, that either would, that either a good a time great, or a good story, right? That that's, exactly that's right. <laughs> but that would be worth it, even even though I wasn't pushing the product ahead. Just being in a room and learning things. That there's there's a bunch of ways to do interesting jobs to have interesting careers without being the person on the front of the product. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, my father used to have an expression also, you need to be where luck can happen to you. Mm-hmm. You know, besides learning, working directly for Ray Dalio, not that I was offered that, I just to be clear, yep. luck could happen to you there. Right. If, you're, if your goal was to be struck by lightning, um, you know that that that's rare, right? You would need yeah. some element of luck, but there's many many places where that's not going to happen. Like you that's you right. do you would have to seek it out um, and be a little bit intelligent about where you were and 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 when if that 
truly was your goal. Um, I, I don't, I don't recommend that, that, that be anybody's goal though. Um, yeah. yeah. And, and on the subject of, uh, Ray Dalio, just real, real quick, I do highly recommend his book, uh, principles for anybody who has not read it. It will, it will tell you a little bit more about, uh, him, uh, Bridgewater and, um, the, my quip about, uh, Bridgewater being like the anti Zappos is that Ray Dalio has, um, very strong uh, opinions, I even call them principles, uh, of, of how to manage and build, manage teams, build companies, how to get um, the most value you know, from people. And um, it's, it's really interesting. And a lot of that is experimental that he's refined over the years, and it's, it's incredibly impressive. But when you, when you read it, it, it comes across um, very almost like a polar opposite of somebody like Tony Shea, who also thinks very deeply about how to get the most out of his teams and build companies and, um, you know, his, his philosophies. Uh, so, so they both have methods that work, but they, they are both, uh, very different. And I, I have to imagine a lot more crying goes on in the Bridgewater, uh, bathrooms than than Zappos, but I don't I don't actually know for <laughs> for sure. So okay, I I, I David, I, I want to know a little bit more about what what you think engineers um, I guess can can do to get into the the right places because I think some of our listeners may be right out of a, a code school. They might be more of like an aspiring developer and they're going to be thinking that they they really can't be so picky um, that if they do get a job uh, working for internet marketers or something and then, you know, who they consider really sleazy, uh, well, they just have to take the job anyway. Do you think that that is untrue or is it more along the lines of like, look, if that's if that's what gets you your first job where you can build up experience, uh, go ahead and do that. And then, you know, in a year or two, then you can really think about who you want to serve and, and how. I would try to avoid that if you could. It, it might be the right path to, to take a job that you don't want in the beginning to hone your craft and to get some points on your resume. Um, but I would try to avoid that because A, the demand is very strong. Uh, B, what's going to be the quality of that experience that you have there for honing your craft? So I, maybe, maybe that's the right thing to do. Maybe that's the thing you have to do. But I would, I would try to not do it. Um, the Ross Perot once talked about the giant sucking sound of jobs hmm. going to Mexico during NAFTA. There's a giant sucking sound for engineers all across the world. It's hard to believe that would be the only choice. If it is, do it and get started. Like, you know, better to get started than not, better to eat than to starve. But be looking for what am I going to put into this? What am I going to get out of it? And what's what am I doing next? Working with sleazy people, just like bad things tends to happen. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, uh, um, what's, the, what's the expression? Uh, sleep with the dogs and wake up with fleas. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. And then and then okay, so so let's say let's say an aspiring dev, they they're able to hold out, they're able to find a company that they they agree with the mission, right? They they like uh 
they like the world that exists in that in that future vision. Uh, they want to help make it come true. They are interested in the customers. They believe in making those people's lives better or easier. Um, how do they how do they know when they're being effective? Because I assume you you don't think that they just leave it up to to product to tell them. I mean, what are the, how how can an engineer know that they are they're being effective? Well, there's two parts. First is do they how do they know the product they're building is being effective, and how do they know they are being effective? Mm-hmm. Right. I think you asked me the latter. I think we might have covered the former, right? Which is have a thesis of why you're building something, release it, see if you made the metrics move. I have a formula for that, which I'm glad to share in a minute. How do you know you're being effective? Um, think about what are you think about uh what are you building the quality of what you're building the velocity of what you're building and the cost of what you're building so let me take those backwards the cost of what you're building is uh how do i minimize cost to prove something that doesn't mean i want to build crap right but i want to build the smallest possible thing to see if we are or not producing value. Um, I want to build something that I could refactor and build on top of, but did I build the smallest possible thing of high quality? Mm -hmm. Am I producing leverage for the other engineers that I work with? So leverage there might be, hey, I built a tool for myself. I shared it with other people. Um, Hey, we paired and um, I helped bring someone up. Hey, I had a good idea about architecture that I shared with someone. We're a team. This is not a this is not a fixed pie where the bigger slice I get means the smaller slice you get. It's am I helping increase the pie in from an engineering standpoint so we're all successful? And by the way, like did I learn something? Mm-hmm. Did I teach something to the people? Did I learn from them? Did I teach them something that makes this all better? It's, you know, the, you know, everyone knows this. Don't measure lines of code. There's there's a bunch of things you should not measure. Uh, uh, some of this is subjective, but is the product is the team better for me having been here? I am a, I am a I'm, I'm going to contradict myself j- in just a moment. Or difference I said just a moment ago. Um, Guy Kawasaki said this thing. Don't worry, be crappy. <laughs> Right. Mm-hmm. I think that's true. If the definition of crappy is I'm building the smallest thing to see if we produce value. And the thesis behind that is, is all product managers are bad at their job. They're bad at their job because it's not a job you can be good at. If good means I'm going to tell exactly, I'm going to tell you exactly what the market wants and we're just going to build it. Mm-hmm. So if you overinvest as an engineer in building an infrastructure that's going to serve you for the next two to three years, you're over. You're you're investing in some, in some future truth that may not be true, because the product managers don't know. So mm-hmm. build the small thing, understand it. But the next thing you need to do to be good at your job is to constantly refactor. Don't ask for permission to refactor. Oh, I'm in this bit of code I was in before. Now the requirements have changed. I'm going to refactor this bit of code I'm in to expand it to meet the old requirements and the new requirements. And I'm going to do that all the time. And that way I build a sustainable code base, a sustainable engineering model. Mm-hmm. Now, if I have to refactor a giant thing that's going to take three months, now we've got to have a conversation. 
but a good engineer is refactoring a little bit along the way all the time. Oh man, I agree with that so, so much. It's funny. I was, um, I don't know. I was like, I was like driving down the street. I feel like so many auto body shops in LA look the same and there's so many of them. They're just like in the middle of everything. And you just kind of see this like kind of rundown building with a bunch of, you know, cars in the parking lot one, you know, actively being worked on. But so many of those shops, uh, are such a mess and, um, like don't, don't let your code base, uh, you don't have to let your code base do that. And, 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 and I'm sure that many engineers just think that they, kind of have no choice, right? I have to I have to get this feature out. Uh, everyone wants it. People are waiting on me. My, my manager wants it. The project manager wants it. Um, so I just, I, you know, I can't write tests. I, I can't refactor. I just have to build this, you know, build this thing and get it out the door as, as soon as possible. And that's just not really that, I mean, that's not true in most, most situations. Uh, in most situations, even your engineering manager or your tech lead don't don't really know how long it's going to take for you to do the thing. And writing that additional test, doing a little bit of extra refactoring, you know, that's only really going to add a few hours, you know, in many cases. Just do it. Like that that's not going right. to have a huge impact on the delivery, but it is going to have a huge impact on your teammate, especially if you get into the habit of doing it, right? There's there's really good advice just in normal life, which is that anytime you leave a room, uh, bring something with you that doesn't belong there, right? If something needs to be right. thrown out, just, just you're leaving the room anyway, just take it and drop it off in the trash can like as you pass one by. Or, oh, this doesn't belong here, it belongs in the kitchen, you're in the kitchen, oh, this doesn't belong here, it belongs in the office. Just, you know, if you get into the habit of doing those things, uh, that continuous little bit of effort goes a long, long way. And so I, I thousand, thousand percent agree with what you're, what you're saying there. And, you know, I, there's, there's kind of this, this other part to, um, that I'm, that I'm, I feel like there's a connection, right? You're talking about product managers. It's very difficult to be a good product manager because being an excellent product manager means that you can almost predict the future um, to some extent. And mm -hmm. I don't I don't think the answer is, okay, engineers, just be sure that you you work with a clairvoyant uh, product manager. I feel like that would be um, difficult to achieve. Uh, and it's almost like the the bigger the bet, like the bigger the swing, the longer it takes to find out whether or not you are right, the unhappier everyone's gonna gonna be. Right. Um, and that's almost the same way on engineering too. Like, if you if you like are working on a feature and you structure it in such a way that it's only gonna get released and anyone like no one else can really see it until you you kind of finally put that keystone in to complete the arch but it like took you a long time to get everything up and then and then and then you put that in and then finally you can watch walk across the the bridge or whatever my metaphor is horrible but the point being if you take forever before you can evaluate it um that is way worse than if you can build something more incrementally right like 
Like if, you, right. if you're building a bridge, like get the rope across first and then get more rope ropes across and then get the wood planks across and then find start doing the, uh, you know, more of the wood framing and then eventually the stone and everything like that. Um, trying to trying to make everybody wait until you get the the steel and concrete version out, you know, that that can be bad because like what you said, you know, you it's it's a bet. Like you think that this is going to be valuable to people, but but you don't know. And if you wait until you've invested a ton in it to find out, you know, you can't really get that time and energy back. If that, by the way, building the big bridge and leaving it under covers and not letting anyone see it until it's done is a great way to get fired. <laughs> because here's the following things that are going to happen. First of all, even if you were right on what the bet was when you started, the roads moved. Mm -hmm. A. B is it's going to take you longer than you thought. C is the people you're building for don't know what building a bridge is like. And so they're getting nervous the whole way. They may not even have seen this bridge. And so, um, and by the way, there's going to be bugs in it. So you're not going to really, you're going to have this big, like, we're going to build this great thing. Don't look behind the curtain. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be done in three months and you're going to love it. It's going to change your world. And now you've built the bridge. It's late. By the way, there's potholes in it and the roads moved. And now it's like, well, that sucked. Like, let's, like, I don't want to work with someone who produces the wrong thing late at low quality. And if you could predict exactly what needed to get done, this, by the way, here's where waterfall is really good. When you could produce, there's a couple places, but one is, uh, you know exactly what needs to get done, you know exactly how long it's going to take, and you know exactly how to build it. Great. Awesome. Use waterfall. That situation. Is that common? <laughs> that situation, as far as I can tell, never exists. The other, the other time, by the way, to use waterfall, if the cost of release is really high, like you're firing a rocket mm -hmm. into the air, iteration is really hard on firing rockets. Yeah. Waterfall is probably the right thing to do. Um, actually, there's one of the situation about I did some hardware development in augmented reality once, like that's a mix of hardware waterfall. It's another situation, do something agile. Mm -hmm. There may be some other case I missed, but like that situation of building the bridge, um, you know, the metaphor we're using, don't build a bridge behind you know, behind a curtain and let everyone see it behind, you're going to get fired. Mm -hmm. By the way, you probably deserve to get fired. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That the, it, I, I, I like that you brought that up. I'm sure there are situations where measure twice, cut once makes a lot of sense. Those cuts can be very expensive um, to get wrong and, and iterating just may not, may not be an option. Um, yeah. you, you, you touched on something too, that I think is really, really important. Um, and and it has to do with, as an engineer, y your, I don't know if it's senior, maybe it's seniority, but your power, like the, the your value to the organization is, is proportional to how you're helping others, right? So it's kind of what you're saying. It's like a tool that, you're creating a tool that other people on the team can use, right? You create it once, you use it, and then other people are getting sped up by it. They their their work becomes less error prone. It ships faster. It is easier for other people to understand. Uh, the dividends keep going. Uh, you also mentioned pairing, right? 
you, the, the information that you know, maybe you're stronger on the front end, they're stronger on the back end, and now you pair with them, uh, you, didn't, you didn't transfer your front end knowledge in the sense that you lost anything. Um, you just, you, you created it. It went, it went from, uh, you know, zero to one on their side, but it didn't take you from one to zero. It's almost like you shared, you know, you shared fire. You, you still have yours. They, they have theirs. And the more, the more opportunities I think that an engineer can do this, um, it's almost like that, like their reputation grows, the, the value to the organization grows and, um, there's probably even second order effects, right? You you teach that engineer, and then they teach other ones, right? And and That's right. you know it keeps it keeps compounding. Do you think? Do you think a lot of engineers like? There's two things. Is there a reason why an engineer wouldn't do this? Is is one uh, one question, and then then the other is like, do you think? Is there is there a certain level or like how does an engineer know when to start doing this? Because I I guess let me let me rephrase. Let's say an engineer considers themselves to be quite junior, um, but they recognize that they, they do agree that this is this is important for them to to grow. Is there anything that they can do or do they need to wait? And if they're waiting, what should they wait for to know that, OK, now is the time to start to influence other engineers? Um. Uh, so no, you shouldn't wait. Uh, and you can start by asking questions. Oh, that's interesting. Why, why are we doing it this way? Why mm -hmm. wouldn't we do it that way? Right. Cause now, you know, at the very least you're learning, mm -hmm. but you might be pointing out, um, uh, you might be pointing out a flaw in someone's reasoning that they might not recognize. And so as opposed to telling, say, oh no, no, we, we need to use, JSON in a different way here. Uh, and I'm just making up something arbitrary. Mm -hmm. That's wrong. Ask the question. Even if you, by the way, even if you do know well, ask the question. Don't mm -hmm. tell. Mm -hmm. um, because by asking questions, you'll tend to find out if maybe you misunderstood. Mm -hmm. Maybe that way is right. So don't wait. So when's a good time not to be an information sharer? Well, Gee, if you're concerned about uh, protecting your job, hmm. then being the sole person who has that knowledge will do that. But I'm going to argue that that's not actually particularly valuable to you because if there was a shortage of jobs, then protecting your job would be important. And being that kind of jerk who like keeps information to his or herself just to protect you and not being, you know, not trying to expand the pie when there's a lack of jobs, that may be the good strategy. Mm -hmm. That's not the world we live in. That's not the world we're going to live in for quite some time. Mm -hmm. If you grow your reputation, you'll tend to find more opportunities will come to you. Um, so do that, right? Look, maybe you're not going to agree with my philosophy, try it out and see, but I'm arguing that, my my philosophy will expand the pie, not just for the company you're working at, but for you as well. You'll get a reputation of here's someone who adds value. Here's someone who is um, uh, here's someone who is helpful. Gee, I want I tend to want to seek those people out as mm -hmm. opposed to people that are difficult to work with. Yeah, it's like you're developing uh, gravity, right? People people are yes. going to be attracted to you because of. Uh... 
because of how you make their lives better, make their lives easier, save them time. Yeah, that like, you know, delivering, delivering value. Um, I really, I really liked what you said about asking questions and not, and not telling. Um, I feel like, you know, it's pretty universal. I think most teams really just do not have as much documentation as they would like. And, you know, you don't need to be an expert to ask questions and then write down the answers. Uh, and yet right. that, that is incredibly valuable. So I agree with you. There's, there's kind of no, no reason to, to wait on, on that. Uh, hey, David, this has been great. Where can people find out more about you online? Uh, so there's a couple ways. Uh, my company's Interna, I-N-T-E-R-N-A. Go to our website, interna.com. There's a there's a company with a very similar name called Interna Technologies or something. Don't be fooled. They do <laughs> RNA stuff. Uh, just interna.com. There's, there's contact us there. You can find us there. Um, DSUBAR, almost everywhere on the internet. Um, uh, so D first initial David, my last name is Subar, like the car Subaru without the U S U B A R. Um, you can find me on LinkedIn, hit me up there. People have questions. They can reach out on the internal website, hit me up on LinkedIn, tweet at me. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm glad to, I'm glad to be helpful. Fantastic. And we'll, we'll put all of that in the show notes. So if you just go to, junior to senior.io, you can find links to all of those things. Uh, so perfect. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you. I've enjoyed it. All right, folks, that's it for this week. I'm David Gutman, and I hope you join me again next time for Junior to Senior. Recruiting at tech events can be one of the best ways to find and hire senior software engineers. Unfortunately, it's easy to make simple mistakes and wind up with no leads. Grab my free 12-point recruiting checklist to maximize your sponsorship investment at superstruct.tech slash event dash recruiting dash checklist.